Golay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. Greetings, pod nerds, and to you, my cherished members of the Recorded Historical Society, and welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. My name is Ed Smith, and this is our weekly chat with an interesting someone with an interesting story, and all told by way of some very interesting records. Now, without a doubt, one of my most memorable gigs happened in the Olympia Theatre, as it so often does, when I was dragged against my ignorant will to see Camilo Sullivan perform. I had never seen or heard, or indeed experienced, anything quite like it. Part cabaret, part theatre, part poetry, but all absolutely mesmerising. I finally got to meet Camille in tragic circumstances, actually, as we were both invited to speak on television about Sinead O'Connor the morning after she had passed. And we hit it off immediately, and so enchanted was I that I forgot my innate shyness and straight up dared to ask her if she'd come on the podcast. And it was an instant yes, and true to her word, in she came a few weeks later with her incredible furry mouse hat, an absolutely fascinating life story, and three phenomenal album choices. I fell in love with her all over again, and I'm sure you will too. So, enter stage left, Camilo Sullivan. Honoured, excited to be saying these words, I'm joined by Camille O'Sullivan, who's in to share, of course, her recorded history. Camille, thank you so much. Delighted to be for here. For coming in. I can just see you through the maze of, <laughs> of mic stands there. My apologies. This is great. Uh, I love the headwear. Thank you. Yes, a little, uh, you know, I was saying to you, as you get older, you're, you know, coming a bit more eccentric and <laughs> then glamming it up. But uh, yeah, I hadn't worn it in a while, but I thought for you... It looks I, spectacular. Yeah. Is, there an expectation on, is there an expectation on you that people think you're going to turn up in fishnets and red well, lipstick? Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, I remember the time we bumped into each other yeah. at... Uh, uh, on the telly and I had the curlers in and there was a guy just sitting near says Jesus you remind me of, of my mother and then I came out glammed up going oh, yeah. I didn't expect that yeah does it does so it take long it, it takes for ages yeah <laughs> in the old days you might have been a bit of lipstick and thing now but yeah. now it's real trawling it on and you know I think the it, there's kind of liberation I suppose in I never uh, like I always enjoy dressing up for stage and that enigmatic quality but I've always enjoyed kind of not dressing up mm. in my real life. So, you know, even to the point like when you, I used to put posters up in town, people go, who's that? And you're like, that's me, <laughs> you know, and you do get that from people or you know, after a gig. Yeah. It's like being in the zoo. They're coming up going, Jesus, she didn't look like that on stage. I suppose it's a certain armory with the with the, with the outfits on stage. Oh, but, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like I remember I was saying to somebody that um, I, for a gig, my daughter had switched my um, uh, makeup uh, for Claire's accessories, like uh, had no makeup uh, bag in it, all my red lips were gone. I was in Edinburgh and I asked my partner, I said, get out to Boots, go somewhere, buy yeah, that yeah. red lipstick. Nobody could find it. So I saw... You have a particular shade? I have, yeah. But yeah. that for me is my armour. Like of I course, have, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and sometimes I get mixed up. Uh, like if I ever put it on to go out and meet a friend, I go, that looks too much like I've done a drag act because, okay. you know, on stage it's a different thing. But anyway, I saw Red Sharpie kind of nearby you and I not. thought, I absolutely did and the band 
band were laughing at me, but it actually came off after a two-hour gig. But did it come off? <laughs> it did. Camille. But it was like, it actually was the same shade. So it wasn't you know, permanent marker, was it? Yeah, but it, oh, it, 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 with the glass of wine I had on stage, it all disappeared. <laughs> but um, the suffering you go through. Yeah, but uh, I do like I I did you know put on a bit of lipstick and you know I did get myself a little bit ready for years, but um, definitely. Um, well, the hat. Yeah, the hat. Is that a hat? It's It's kind of a headscarf. Yeah, I got it from in New York when it was we were doing a gig. Just describe it for people. It's Irish Art Centre, and it was a little market nearby. We're doing five weeks just when we came out of lockdown, and I was I bought one for my daughter, and it's got two. It's got. It's like it's not a little mouse hat. It's like a little, little teddy bear hat. I think, oh, little teddy bear. Child, sorry, yes. But there's two little teddy bear uh, faces on the top, and you can check me out in the selfie yeah. with Ed. But then I thought I'm going back to get one for myself, and I do get a lot of you know. It's warm. It's practical. Of all ages that come up to me yeah. and actually. Um, it works as a scarf as well. Yeah, but they also say, <laughs> "Where do you get it? I want one." So yeah, it's gorgeous. That well, look, <laughs> thanks for putting it on. It's a fine start. From to the proceeding. sublime <laughs> to the ridiculous, Ed. That's where I'm. I'm planning to just. There, you know, there's plenty of sublime. Being a, a nine-year-old in a in a kind of a, a nursing home doing the hula hoop wearing look, this hat. That's where it's heading. And would you be happy doing it? Mm-hmm. In Cork. Now, I'd be delighted. Was it hard to break it down to three albums? Yeah, I, yeah. Even last night, yeah, I was going. What about Pink Floyd's? Uh, <laughs> what about the Beatles? Uh, what it, didn't make it on the list? Uh, well, I suppose are these songs. Are, yeah, well, this is funny actually. Uh, the the three that made it come from. I would have thought all the ones that I heard when I was like nine or ten. Mm. You know what I mean? Because they're the emotional thing of <gasps> the first discovery of music. Yeah. And the, the, my regrets as I get older is. I wish, like when I think of my daughter, I think, oh my God, she's going to hear this for the first time. It's going to be so amazing. And so what um, didn't make it on with the early ones of kind of like John Lennon and and Pink Floyd and unusual ones of like Tchaikovsky or like, you know, classical music. Like I'm thinking of when I delved into my parents' record collection, which was at the bottom of this library. And just, you know, luckily um, the, the weird ones of, um, Benny Hill's Ernie's the fastest oh, milkman in the world. No, I wasn't ever into that, but it was in the uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan stuff. Yeah. Like there was stuff, yeah, yeah. but um, f- the I just realised now the ones I did choose the early listening through the my sister's uh, um, timber wall between our room was hearing kind of the baseline first of um, Ziggy Stardust mm. and. Um, hearing all of Bowie's music and, and and never knowing the chronological order until I was at the V&A Museum. It's probably the best thing. way to, uh, yeah. to listen to him first. Well, it was only like probably five years or you know just a year before he died, I realised the order of them all. Yeah. So I was in happy ignorance just going, oh my God, this yeah. is from outer space. The, I love it. The journey of his genius. Yeah. And then later on with like, say, the other choices, one was just sitting in a car in my mid-twenties and then another one when I was like, you know, um, um, 30 or something so the, it's good it was nice that it good, came yeah we have a good you know, distance between but um, yeah three amazing and, and for, uh, quite incredibly considering the artists we're about to talk about <laughs> the first time I've done about well this is what my yeah. late 20s now as I, when it comes to the number of episodes the first time any of them have appeared as anyone's choice when you think oh about God. it who were so let's get into That's it. Making me feel okay. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like so. It's Bosco's um, chart hits. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Steps' greatest hits too. Captain by the Beefheart, way, yeah. um, outtakes and 
<laughs> Jesus. Hate from Steps, the acoustic album, <laughs> yes. which was released in Bosnia. I should, I should, yes. <laughs> a great hit in Bosnia. A seminal, a seminal record, uh, Camille. So listen, let's get into it. Yep. Your very first choice, Camille O'Sullivan, what is your first entry into your recorded history? Uh, it's Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. And uh, I mean, to be honest, it's probably two albums. It's the live prop. You know, I can't ever choose between the live or the um, recorded one. Like, just blew my mind. I suppose it was an album that made me just um, want to get and dance around my room, but also made me cry and laugh. And it's, I think like, it's the... If you were to put me to the sword, not the sword, yep. let's not be too dramatic. <laughs> uh, that I think it's the greatest album of all time, quite, it's, quite frankly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, got everything and it, perfect. And, you know, still to this day, it oh, sends yeah. me chills. Mm-mm. You know, um, and you know, when they talk about something, it is of its time, but I don't think, I think the mixture, you see, I didn't realise all the ingredients. I didn't know about the Mick Ronson thing. Mm. I didn't know about, like, when you see the guys, you've got to check the, the outfits out and the, the, the sideburns. Yeah, the spiders the, of Mars. You know, Mars, like, yeah. unbelievable. I, I didn't even really know the whole thing about when, I, I, the discovery, like, when he said, it's over, this is the last gig, yeah. and not even the band knew Dread, that it was killing really. off the, you know, it was, it was an dreadful, awful way yeah. to treat them. But, to kill them on stage. So interesting enough, I didn't see, it was all audio. I wouldn't have seen the visual of it until I hit a um, a beautiful old uh, cinema in Soho, London, about seven years ago. I, I'd seen clips, mm. but I didn't see the whole thing till then. The so I was gig. right up front with yeah, the rest yeah. of, you know, uh, the crazy people. It's amazing, isn't it? And it was just, yeah. I felt like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, it's live, it's here. And like, it was funny, like later on, it was my mum, like when I started singing and I was doing all the old Kurt Vall and Brell stuff and he had sung Brell and I was kind of going, oh my God, he sung that and mm-hmm. and, and he sung uh, My Death and Amsterdam and um, Alabama and stuff. It was later on, it was my mum said, do you remember you singing around the house with a hairbrush? And I was like, not really. Singing Bowie. Singing Moon Age Daydream. And she said, you just were. And she said, why don't you sing that? So I blame my mother for, you know, because I didn't really connect the dots between what was in my record collection, which are these albums that Mm. I loved. And then it made sense because I said it was all about creating characters on stage. I think what Bowie did to me, like I was quite, I mean, you wouldn't believe it because of how much I talk, but I'm from Cork. And I was, passage. A passage. And I was quite shy. Like my sister yeah. mentioned recently, she said you used to kind of squint your eyes. So you thought for two years you wouldn't open them much. So you wouldn't want people to see you. She said, we didn't even know you wanted to be a singer. But that world to me just made me think you can be anything you can. And I didn't really see the makeup. Like the, the makeup thing to me was just, yeah, whatever, you know, or the hair or the outfit. Like that was that wasn't even like something I was. So it was, it was by. as much the performance. Yeah, I yeah. just I think he was my I think he was my one and only crush. I just mm. fell in love with him in every way, and you know that feeling of of liberation and kind of um, just giving yourself over like five years, like it's the end of the world, and. I think this thing, like, I, I suppose I believed he was Ziggy Stardust and mm. that's what happened. And that's when this discovery came. Oh, my God, he's not. And he's actually 
this is what he is now. He's more like the old outfits are gone, the quiffed hair. And uh, I happened to go and see these, you know, came up to Dublin with a group of girls and saw the spider tour. Now, that wasn't even he said like. It wasn't his finest. He thought it was his yeah Phil Andy. Collins Arena thing. He said, I didn't, you know, on Jonathan Ross, <laughs> yeah, it's quite yeah, yeah. funny going. I don't really know what I was doing, but I pretended to faint so I could get dragged up to the front and be, you know, I remember kind of waving at him and off I went. But I, it was, um, I don't know, like I just felt like, I felt like it was art and I felt like it wasn't artifice. I felt like it was authentic. I felt like, I suppose I'd never heard, when you hear rock and roll suicide. Your interpretation of that song you know, it's a, it's. I would imagine it's almost like a Mount Everest type scenario when you're taking on one of Bowie's. The opening of the album starts yeah. at five years and finishes with rock and roll suicide. I think it's yeah. the greatest opening and close. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. <laughs> curtain open, curtain closed. <laughs> yeah, just that the, the, the kind of fade in of the drums of five years. You're going what? And you're kind of led into this world. It's a concept album as such. I don't know. It's loosely, you know, there is a storyline there. I don't think that really matters. I think it maybe the songs hang. In their own right, uh, in their own, and that's right of the concept. I think I, I think I loved concept Mm. albums like Pink Floyd's concept album, and this, and even Bat Out of Hell. Like it's like, I suppose all the things he loved, he came, he did variety. He wanted to be a rock star. It was mime. It was a mime chameleon. So all those things, like dance, you know, it made you believe. You, you know, when you think of Man Fell to Earth, you. It was like a world and you want to go, I want to be in that world. Like if I could have climbed into that television and joined, you know, like I was looking around the back of it going, yeah. where is that guy? You know, it really was. And people talk about that moment on Top of the Pops with him and Mick Ronson and he looks down the, oh, the camera and points like, and it changed <laughs> so many people. Started like a thousand bands and well, you see, singers. That, yeah, that, That's where when I, so basically Starman, which is interesting because I only read recently the thing is a star man and the whole thing somewhere oh, over yep, the yep, rainbow. Yep. So this whole thing, like one of, of another of my favourite Wizard of Oz, I don't do uh, reality well. So fantasy is a world I've always wanted to escape to. And I suppose when you're someone you know, whatever reasons you get into singing or performing is for my thing was like, I'm like a scaredy cat off stage. But this was you could be anything. Like if you had any things of wanting to go, like I always I listened to so many recordings of him later. He he kept away from characters later on as performing. But he said it was a way for him to be anything and mm. to show other people yeah. all your facets of yourself, to be angry, to be sad, to be vulnerable. And I think just unlocking the and as an Irish person, too, we're so like the black humorness, but the shyness and the self, you know, it suited. Yeah. I was like, geez, this is brutal. This yeah. is real stuff. And the rock and roll suicide, I just, I remember crying my eyes out to it and just falling, like thinking, this is the saddest thing. But where you truly, um, and you know, there'd be a part of you that would be absolutely embarrassed about singing it that way. But as you, as you step into it, all that goes aside. Reversion of that song. But it is like the arrangements I, and the power that you put into it is is astonishing. Well. I just love it so much. Mm, but mm. also, I'm probably slightly messed up and not, you know, I wish I was yeah. more sorted and I didn't <laughs> suffer from kind of the black dog, but I do. And well, that and that, and that that lends itself yeah, to, of course it does, yeah. do you know, and also yeah. loads of empathy. Like I love people and love animals and I love performing. And, you know, I mean, that thing for him, like you were talking about when he went, I just, I think a load of people remembered what it was like to be a teenager and losing your first love. And it was, it you know, yeah, it was 
very, very, it's tough. Yeah, I, again, I think it's the last time I've, no, the second last time I cried. Well. And, you know, and I sat down and listened to this gorgeous remix of Sound and Vision. Yeah. But they've stripped it back with a little bit of piano. Yeah. It was used in a commercial or something. I yeah. can't remember the guy's name. And I sat down on the sofa and I put it on. The worst possible choice. Because I sat there and just, just the delicacy and the, oh. the beauty of his lyrics and. So, was, I don't know what yeah. it was about him. He was otherworldly. He wasn't like he wasn't was an he? alien. I felt and like I he was like a renaissance. All the great man. artists like, have their qualities. Because you, I wonder, will we ever see that? Like no. now in music, Absolutely do you ever not. get no. anybody like him? I'm one hundred percent certain I can say this. Like he, and he was, he was kind. Like for someone who was such an icon, you know. Like I'm, I had the honor of like um, doing a uh, after I had Lila. After three weeks having Lila, I was like, Jesus! I got invited to a gig in um, the Royal Festival Hall with Yoko Ono and it happened to be with, and I was like, do you want to come? And I was like, Jesus. And I mm-hmm. thought, yeah, I'll do it. And actually, um, I'm usually terrified and I still was, but after having a child, I was like, yeah, bring it on, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of out of it too. And um, But Earl Slick, his guitarist, yeah. was doing a song with me and I was like, what's he like? And, you know, because of all the people I ever wanted to meet and he said he was very enigmatic. He kind of kept to himself, but quite a shy person. He said, you never really knew like he was very kind and good but he never you know opened those sides up to him but I can imagine he had to though but keep that to protect himself yeah, but what I loved was hearing all the stories of him in Ireland being yeah. like working in the factory and somebody chatting away and then there was some guy who was like one of his biggest fans who ran a fanzine who didn't know for years he was, yes, he was yes. emailing back and forth it was back online and, forth, and yeah. then try, and then finding out like wait a minute you've left me tickets I'll run down yeah. to the you know and I thought I love him even more mm. when he's gone. A very, by all accounts, a very kind man and very funny. Oh, and I think amazed. he showed moments of that. There's a lovely moment on Parkinson where he, his father was from up north. Yeah. And he does the accent and he tells a great story about how bad it was backstage. Like you're washing yourself in yeah. a tiny, dirty sink. And yeah. Coming out of Ziggy in one of these working men's clubs. Like he tells the story beautifully, you know. So as you say, we'll never see his likes again. And, you yeah. know, go back to that period, 72. This is just before... Maybe the cocaine started to get yeah. a hold of him. And I think the Ziggy Stardust, sorry, Ziggy Stardust, the persona, was yeah. beginning to take over a little yeah. bit. I think he had to kill it, yes. as he says in the song, because he was finding it increasingly difficult to to, do, to doff the costume and the persona yeah. off stage, and he was getting messing him up mentally, you know. But if you think about the creativity that he, like the genius of boys, obviously, it's no secret to anyone me saying that the man was a genius, but yeah. it was around this time that he came back on from touring the States, very tough tour. Yeah. He wrote the majority of the songs from Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust. Unbelievable. In one kind of fell swoop. Can you imagine it? And you wonder where it came from before, like, because before he was that, able, the he, space yeah, oddity, yeah. but before that, because yeah. I look back, letter to Hermione, like, I wouldn't choose too very, many from the first. No, no, Baroque and parochial. And, yeah, he was yeah. evolving. Yeah, it's, and I think America was a huge influence on the him. Dro- I mean, not to get into yeah, 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 kids, yeah. but something definitely, <laughs> <laughs> something definitely yeah. happened. Yeah, not that we recommend it. <laughs> You'd have to have the genius as well. Yes. But at this time as well, he co-produced Lou Reed's Transformer with Mick Ronson. And then, Un- that's not enough. Is that not enough? Mott the Hoople, and I love this story. Yes. So he went to Mott the Hoople with an offer of the song. They were on the outs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were on the outs and he was like, listen, you know, I've got a few songs. That's a very bad impression. Yeah. No, have got. I could, do, do you want me to, uh, I give you, I'll give you songs. I've got them. I've got them lying around the house. He offered them Suffragette City and they went, no. <laughs> Like, sorry. Will you? They yeah. went, no. Yeah. No, 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 thanks. Yeah. And they went, all oh, right, I've got something else here. All the young dudes, would you yeah. Would you take that? They're like, yeah. okay, go on then. Imagine. 
And then they went on to have it. And he produced produced that album as well. No, I know because, see, I never knew that about only recently about uh, the Lou Reed thing and about Ziggy. And also Iggy. Iggy Pop. Raw Power. Yeah. He produced. I know. All all in the same kind of year or two. Like, come on now. No, I mean. uh, Will we see his legs again? Absolutely. There was that brilliant um, uh, documentary of him Travelling across America, you know when he says, "There's a fly in my milk," and yeah, it's just yeah. me soaking up. Is he in the back of the limousine? And then, and yeah, and oh, joking yeah. about like who would keep a wax museum in the middle of like a desert area, like and I mean, you could go down a rabbit hole just watching, like as I did for that year afterwards. I remember, you know, I mean, the night before he passed away, I was doing kind of some circus show in London, Le Clique, and I'd sung, I think, an a cappella of. Uh, Amsterdam and rock and roll because the the sound had switched off. Yeah. So the, like all the acrobats were like, "It's a puke, Camille." Now because you know the one. Go- Save like, us, Camille. I'm not the lion, mm. as my mother said. You're not the uh, putting your head in the lions. You're, you're not good at juggling. Just a singer. <laughs> and then I went home. I was in Soho Square, and I went home, and I thought, you know, I'd love to do the songs. I'll just listen to all the songs I didn't hear before. So I went with two or three hours having a glass of wine, listening to it. And next morning, my sister rang me and told me and I had no reaction. And I was like, wait a minute, there's why am I not like I've got nothing here. And this is, you know, this guy is the one that I absolutely I was going to marry. This was probably too much to take in, you know. And then I went for a walk and I sat down and there was a guy with headphones on and he was crying in front of me. And then the tears started coming. And then I rang my sister and I wailing to each other. And then I thought to myself, you, you know, you've forgotten, Camille, you forgot you're this age and you've just become normal wearing black and you're going to get some, you know, I went near the studio just to be near and you're going to get some sparkly makeup and you're going to wear gold platforms. And from that moment, I think this funny little hat, but I did like, I mean, Mind you, the gold coat was from Dunn Stores. A lot of people ask where it's from and they're like, you're kidding me. I said it was a one-off. I, I don't know it. how it came from Dunn Stores. Of course I found it one day. Yeah. But I am dressing kind of like yeah. ultra, like it's boiler suits now because I'm of an age. But I did think to myself, do you know what? You forgot to be different somewhere along the way. And I have lost, you know, I think I do it on stage. But I, my friends used to joke, they said, we did find you a few times, you know, come to your house, you'd have a tiara while you're hoovering. I said, look, I hate domestic work. I always have to make it interesting to myself, like with a little glass of a gin and tonic, mm. you know, mother's ruin. <laughs> but I did forget. Okay. And I know sometimes I have to go, do you know what? You know, you don't have to be outrageous. You have to be, you know, be kind, but, you know, have a bit of child. I think there's a, there's the thing that they say about performers and you'd like to think about it as a person. It's like a child that never grows up. And I think that curiosity, there was, a, you know, a curiousness that um, he had and he never, like, what did he, there was a thing he said in that Moon Age Daydream documentary he was excited, but life is for living. I want, you know, and that yeah. thing that, you know, that you you felt, yes, rock and roll suicide, but that's what I think I got from Ziggy was, because yeah. that's the one I fell yeah. in love with. I know. Because when they go off a Moon Age daydream, so. like, you know, I think that's where my mother saw me kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know speaking of speaking of there. your mother, we're just going <laughs> to get my poor mom, my poor French mom, going. I know. Be more enigmatic stuff. But, but stop your parents, your Irish daddy, your parents, Camille. You know, again, this has been said to you so many times yeah. over the years. It's worthy of a podcast in itself. <laughs> they met in Monaco. Yeah. Your father was a racing car driver, yeah. 
And your mother was, well, French, which is, yeah. I think, a profession in itself. Yes, it is. A full-time job. Yeah. She, and she keeps it up. Yeah, yeah. It still sounds like she came yesterday Great. on the boat. So, and then they met, fell in love yeah. in England. And oh, no, I met in Monaco. So, and then they, you yeah, were born eloped, in England. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a larger story there, but I can't yeah. really share it because okay. they really were bohemian, the two of them. And my mother is quite, as she says, I like to stay in the shadows while you look for the stars. Um, but she always saying, be more enigmatic. So I suppose, you know, I have quite a schizophrenic personality and I'm... The part of the mad Camille, uh, the mad Irish father comes on stage and then trying to look enigmatic as my mum. But it it was, mum always says, I thanks be to God you're half Irish because she okay. said, you don't, you have good humour and you don't take yourself serious. If you were totally French, you'd be far too serious and into yourself. And so, you moved to Cork, which helped. Can absolute, I just say, of oh all my the God. places in Ireland. No, and you couldn't. I mean, yeah, my dad, let's well, be the, straight the, about the, it. the funny thing was, and it was a really surreal kind of, weird, isolated childhood. I mean, because all the family had emigrated during the famine. So we were the only two. Dad thought, right, I'm going to bring these two kids from London, bring them back and raise them in Ireland. It's a better childhood. But my mum, like, and he was then at that stage, he was trying to leave the um, uh, racing. He kind of did a sailing, but he was like a builder. So we lived in a show house. We'd have to move out when people came in to see the thing out the backyard mm. and, uh, you know, turn off the cooker and then come back in. But my mum was kind of difficult in the house is going, do you like this one? No, no, no. Do you like this one? One day she said, I don't mind. And he bought it, but he didn't realise he'd bought it in like one of the most nationalist villages <laughs> in the south of Ireland. It, we love it terribly and everybody we oh. love there but so it meant that there was a kind of um, a very interesting childhood of not being kind of Were you conscious of that as a child? Oh God yeah yeah. yeah. Oh we were totally isolated like uh, you know yeah. Even down the local shop or Oh yeah yeah I mean um, wow. I mean there was a guy with it the, runs deep the in pig dog Cork, but yeah. he loved me and yeah. I did nick all my my sister did see me go down one day um, <laughs> with a big bag going, and she came into her room and found all her her money box with really? kind of coins had gone I was maybe about four I emptied it on the table and I said everything um, but I was caught in time but the, the in that house it was so it was isolated my mum wasn't kind of accepted in the Catholic Church there so we were raised up the back lane where we had to run up and hide in the small little church and I brought Fergal who I work with um, amazing Fergal on piano and I visited and it was only there and I said oh God that's where I started kind of singing really in a tiny like about ten of us in there musty old church four of us all singing out of tune and I think this love of one of the albums because I, I go between loving, like I go, I want to be a rock and roll star. And, oh, I love hymns. And that thing of hymns has always oh, stayed with me. That brings us beautifully. You know, yeah. and, but funny enough, it's I did meet a girl in Cork Youth Theatre when I was around 17. And she said, oh, I'm from Passage. And I said, I'm from Passage. And she was my next door neighbour. And we'd never met for like 13 years. Because I'm similar enough story that my parents brought us from London. How old were you? How old? I will. We were back. I was a baby, but yeah. back and forth. And I had I was a little seven. accent. I was six. You know, so it was back and forth until I was five. Yeah. But it was. True. You neither belonged here. No. Nor belonged. I there. never. I like. Quite honestly, beautiful people. Like yeah. when he brought us from West London, Chiswick. Yeah. To North Cork, rural in a pub. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, you yeah, and I have yeah, yeah. So, and I found my sister was ten. I was yeah. seven. I I could never really 
fit in. Yeah. But it's very difficult when you To make us in. work. I just couldn't. Well, it's really hard. Like, mm. I mean, it's not anybody's fault because I suppose at that stage, the, the you know, to be coming from England, there still there was there that was thing a, of, yeah. like, I think there was a lot of kind of Brits out written on walls and stuff around near our place. So it was very, we were very aware. And then my mum being French was seen as an absolute kind of like... They just didn't know how to handle it. What the hell was going on there? I am so happy. I am so, like, happy to have been raised in Ireland but I only got my citizenship like two years ago really? or three years ago yeah I was there with my cat on Zoom wow. I was so proud like the guard you did it during lockdown but, yeah and I you know it was a real thing for me like I used to have to hide my in the little green folder and you know I so went, a passport you'd have an English passport yeah and then I got a French one and then I've got the, the I got, got the, the three the hat whatever the hat trick <laughs> but I I remember going one day to do like a voting that was a certain voting and a guy said, oh, Camille, I'm so sorry. And I, and, I, and he said, I won't tell anybody. And I just kind of went with my tail. Shame, my legs. shame. But I felt so bad, wow. you know. Um, but yeah, but I found it was a fast, like I've never been, I've never understood how to sing kind of Irish songs, but I do feel, that I am really emotional. I do adore my family. And, and I adore any audience member that ever wants to come and see a show. But I do feel that those songs do come from growing up. Um, you know, it was isolated dancing and singing. My, my dad said, like, because, you know, I'd done, he kind of wanted me to do the architecture. And he did say, <laughs> you know, there was a time a few years ago before Lila was born, he said, um, how did I know this little three year old who was dancing around doing tickets at the door would want to become, you know, a singer? Because we were doing all the Tchaikovsky, yeah, yeah. like the little rat, the prince, the, you know, the swan, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. And he said, um, but I got it all wrong. I tried to make you all independent. You should have just got married to somebody that had children and somebody rich. And I was going, wait a minute, I'm about to do a gig tomorrow night. What are you doing to <laughs> Don't me? Don't do this to me now. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, going back to the hymnal uh, element, to speak yeah. of your second choice, yeah. Camille, in your recorded history, yeah. we're going now to 1987, yeah. isn't it? So can you tell us what it is? It's um, Nick Hayes' Boatman's yeah. Call. Yes. Now, I was actually, the lovely story to this was um, uh, a good friend, uh, Jack L, who so, was so good to me. Um, uh, we met each other in a kind of a cupboard in the dark club. I didn't know he was in there, but he was like in a purple kind of velvet suit with a feather boa. I was changing to go on to like uh, how many women in Ireland would have been. Jesus, this is fantastic. Jack Elson yeah, yeah, cupboard yeah. here off stage. Quite the, the heartthrob. And um, became friends. He really helped, you know, gave me a, a, a chance to uh, support act on the Olympia and then uh, guested with him and I remember driving one day and he just um, had played. Now I had been introduced in a cave um, that uh, in the early 90s by another amazing Australian girl but this was the album that he yeah. played and I was just like... So you remember it vividly? Yeah and I really do remember vividly I remember it was kind of raining and I remember it was the countryside. and Perfect I, place and to, I remember, to hear yeah, it. And we just stopped near a lake and I just remember going like I yeah. feel like I've gone through especially because the first song Into My Arms Into My Arms talk about great openers of albums oh, come on now it's spine tingling mm. it was so beautiful and I don't really remember hearing any instruments that's the thing all I remember is hearing that voice now when I was in UCD we were doing the crucible and this amazing girl, Justine Mitchell, she was so beautiful, enigmatic. She was like from Australia 
And um, she was like, I've got a cassette for you, Camille, and it's uh, Nick Cave. And I was like, and he's, and then she says, you've got to see him too. He dresses fantastically in the band. And I was at the Bad Seeds and I thought, well, she's amazing. And then I started looking at the pictures going, oh, mm. my God. And then the cassette, which was a mixture of him doing Plain Gold Ring. And so, of course, this was the beginning of, you know, it was just... I couldn't make head or tail because, you know, I was listening to the ferocious preacher songs. But you see, when I heard, you know, in the birthday party, when I heard Boatman's Call, that was a total departure. Well, that. Murder Ballads was... Bef- yes, yeah. before that. Yeah, so yeah. They, I think what people were saying mm. maybe at the time was like, yeah. oh, they're getting very, he's getting very Nick Cavey. Yeah. And it's almost getting to the point of parody that... Yeah, and it was... Pa- yeah, 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 it yeah. did. He and was then, almost becoming a caricature yeah. and then just as any great artist does, realises... Pulls it back. And, and pull, changes direction. Yeah. Pulls it back, strips it back. Yeah, and I think with those, um, with all three albums in a different way, but I think you feel, uh, all of them feel that when you listen to it, it's happening right here, mm-hmm. right now, and you're going through it with them. Yeah. And that's, you know, I kept on going, it can't be 1970-something with these people, it can't be 1987. And because it's laying the car, it's laying complete vulnerability, there's no artifice. You feel their heart is laid bare and that's the connection that you feel, you feel actually it's quite, you know, with one of the albums they say, why would anybody listen to that's so painful? But you're going, I've always found catharsis through singing, uh, hearing, I always think you're more, you know, when you think of, Songs, it's the sad ones, it's the unrequited thing that makes you feel like I'm connected to it. And I think as Irish people as well, we're, we tend to be drawn yeah. oh, absolutely. to the melancholy yeah, to the, absolutely. and the self-pitying. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, we totally reminds us, it. Yeah, reminds us to feel sad. And you feel the empathy. Mm. And I think with him, like what was interesting listening back to it, because that um, I, when I started singing his stuff, I realised with the hymnal stuff and with the lyric, the lyric is really king with uh, Cave and a bit like Kurt Vile stuff, a very uh, song spoken kind of um, verses and all the beauty. Uh, it's almost like it's um, discordant and... Uh, spoken, Leonard Cohen, spoken. I think, had that quality. Yeah, and Leonard Cohen too. And then the choruses liberate you and the beauty comes. And when... I didn't sing the, the this album for ages because it was a bit like, oh, you know, my favourite stuff or like Ship Song. And even Ship Song took two years because I kept on trying to sing it like him. And then I realised my way of singing Cave is very different that poor Fergal I worked with going less, less. He said, I'm a piano player, stop doing this to me. <laughs> until it became a hymn, until yeah. you took the rhythm out and you just, like I wandered around town until you said the words to yourself. Because sometimes when you're, um, and Jesus, when you start singing his stuff, like we did it in Melbourne, I was like, they're going to kill me here. That's and his then, hometown, of course. Then, yeah. yeah, and the nicest comment you get is, I heard the story differently. And I suppose you add a woman's voice and stuff. So he had fragility, but because it was, it, and I love artists who sing in their own, mm. I didn't really realise that their own voice, because you feel you're like there's a direct conduit to them. And, you know, he said later when he was going through turmoil and he was going through bad problems with drugs and really like because I always thought that album was about PJ Harvey. It was only recently I realised it was about two women. Yeah, the mother of his first enough, you know, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, which one's that one about? You know, it's um, into my arms. Like it's like a religious experience. And then it's you feel it's his story of, you know, He's just laying his soul bare and each song like is... People ain't no good. Oh my God. And which is, you know, when, yeah, no, 
unbelievable. I know, I know Into My Arms gets all the... Yeah, no, it does. Gets all and the flowers, as they say. No, People Ain't No Good is wow. is the one. Um, and it has rock and roll suicide, which I find, you don't mean to find them in songs, but there's a fragility how you start, you explain it. And then there's defiance and there's anger mm. and there's, you know, all like you're saying about the He's... repressed Irish person. But I remember, yeah. like, you know, I had met them in the past um, uh, kind of embarrassing because I just you know when I really like somebody I just stopped talking You met in a cave Yeah and I I met it through Shane McGowan but Shane was kind of like he's you know was I toured with him and he was being Victorian being lovely but Shane was making a joke about me and Nick was going don't worry Camille and I was sitting beside Jim Sclavenos and um, oh god um, Warren right and Warren, I was just scared. So I was in a little kind of like Indian restaurant. They played in um, the 2004 in um, uh, the Spiegel tent and I couldn't speak. And Nick said, well, you sing me a song. And I was like... Absolutely. Jesus, he said it to you there? Yeah, there. In the restaurant? And I said, absolutely That's not. That's unfair. I have yeah, to say. and also I got really drunk and I I, not, I wasn't like the exorcist when I went home, but there, you know, I was a bit ill afterwards. And I remember just being terrified and they were lovely. They were absolutely lovely. And I heard later, because I worked with Jim and tried to do some writing together and I was grand. But in the end, I helped him more in how to, because having been mm. architect, I went back to his house and it sorted. They he, they were trying to do up their flat for their girlfriend and, you, and him. And I was, yeah. You still have it. This, yeah. And wow, um, so, <laughs> but we, you know, it was a surreal, there was a few occasions um, we were invited to the side of the stage for um, Latitude. And I remember Joe, Brand, comedian. Oh, yeah. And she actually used the version of People Ain't No Good. I got a call just year ago to go, yeah, do you want to put it on the song? And he had to give the go on it. So I was hiding somewhere. So he's heard it. Because I go, no, no, he's not heard it. I would hate, I would actually run out of the building if I thought he was going to be the audience. But years later, I had gone to the Bunny Monroe reading, right? And I was trying to, his beautiful wife was there and I was trying to be like, I'm not a stalker. Victoria gave me his number years ago and I never used it. I wasn't like, hello, Mrs. Cave, can I, I put it away. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. my stalker factor is low. Yeah. And You have um, nothing to fear here. And, um, you know, the poor woman was probably thinking, absolute stalker. I was like, you're so lovely and, you know, go and get away from me. And then I said, could you please sign, you know, you always do it wrong. It's like going through customs. Like, I know I look like I've got some Something, I've got nothing and um, <laughs> trying to sign the book and 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 he he was saying um, what songs do you sing and I said oh I sing this and he said People Ain't No Good is one of my favourites he said that yeah, so, wow and it, I'm delighted that's my, that's my favourite yeah and I found the the thing so I was so glad going thanks be to God thanks yeah, be to yeah, God yeah. I said the right one because so certain ones he'd be I don't like their version and you don't you just go you know, like I had, you know, I am, it's a weird thing. I, I, you don't, I'm scared to meet your heroes because we had to do that gig for Shane McGowan too. And I remember Shane had asked me to do Cucullin, a full on song, right? Mm. And then a really beautiful song. And it's a full on yeehaw one. So I'm out like going to rehearse and I'm scared because all the other artists are there. And then I look out and it's, the concert hall and there's just two people sitting there and I don't and my glasses I haven't worn them one I can kind of work out it might be Nick Cave so <laughs> I have to do it three times and it's a real lot like you know I'm, I thought I'd be go for it and then Terry who um, is conducting who is the Tinder six and he said I'm really like telling me I'm really sorry Camille I know you're terrified <laughs> I said I can't say the words on, on, uh, yeah, on yeah. the thing you can I say it you can say it God how lucky 
to, you know, how lucky was I all those years ago? I loved those songs. What with the luck that I'd ever be able to get up on stage and sing them. You've it, spoken very honestly about the stage fright oh, or yeah. the nerves that like you Aiden still Cole, suffer. Stop talking about that stage fright. And I said, but I am scared. But your man said you were like a tiger when you came out front. because But, the like, but you are coiled. That oh is, yeah, like and people said it's like that's a rock. People mistake as nerves. It's and, just you're and, coiled. And and also, well, I think even like even there's a booking coming in that somebody texted me yesterday, and I couldn't sleep last night. I don't know what it is. I just get terrified. But I'm like a horse. Like people say, like the band said, you're like a horse in the stalls. Like Nyeh! yeah, yeah, that's what it and is. And then you're off. But also, yeah. it makes you present and live on stage. For those that are listening now that don't know. Not to mention it as, as, a, as a minor part of your life, yeah. but you qualified as an architect yeah. from UCD. Yeah. Best results they'd had in 10 years. Yeah. So you were I know. a really excellent I, architect. When, if, when I even say it, it just kind of like, yeah. I was remember being in a taxi. I used to be an architect. He went, you are an architect. I went, oh, fair enough. And you've spoken actually so eloquently as well about how architecture and singing mu- and songs, mm. the, the Venn diagram of those two seemingly very different the architecture of a song. Yeah. How you're bringing people through to a show journey, them yeah. a journey yeah, and in a building as much as you are. But architecture, even in design, was always about what is that thing you bring, what do, what do you want to feel when you um, walk through a building? And you do, you know, it's always been an emotive thing. So I know that sounds kind of crazy, but... <clears throat> Even like, you know, what is the light? What is the feeling of like feeling small or intimate? Or do you feel liberated? You open the doors and just run into yeah, the Yeah, sp- you were speaking about like five years and then we'd say into your arms. Mm. Like when you open the doors of that song as well yeah. and you step into it with that beautiful dun, dun, dun. Yeah, well, the d- that piano. Oh, yeah. That's again, like you're walking into a building like the... Absolutely. And it's probably the, favourite the churches. Or, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, churches yeah. and mm. beautiful theatres. and Astonish. I never thought of it that way as well. Yeah. You know, is your favourite, like the way it's kind of transcend, you know, transcends you and the... Um, I always, like my sister said to me, you'd make your gigs would be far easier if you started with a big up number. But they always started difficult. God is in the house. My death. Like you can see the audience. I remember doing Valentine's Day in the middle of nowhere down in the south of Australia. And there was a baby being handed up the audience. And they're like, welcome to Camilla Sullivan's Valentine's gig. And uh, my death waits like an old (laughs) way. And you can see the people very nervous in the audience. And it's always Uh, been a nightmare because I, I... I, and you know I'm a people pleaser mm. so I'm like why am I doing this but I always think <laughs> it's like it's really it's like a schizophrenic like they hate me you how me I go out for a nice romantic night out I love you I love this you this Irish exactly. girl's coming over it's, let's have a nice cosy night yeah. sitting down God she's beautiful yeah. I love with, you with, and next thing death <laughs> death but you can see the nervousness you can actually see uh, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. somebody like doing that to somebody in Cork and they'd gone to get their tickets back in the second song they said, no, she gets better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets better. Were people, I've seen you, you were interviewed that this is the journalist's yeah. interpretation of oh, your God, reaction. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, preface, okay. I'll preface this with yeah, that. Okay. Um, they mentioned the word burlesque mm-hmm. you, and you hate the word burlesque. Well, I do. I mean, I, not against any burlesque mm. performers because I, you know, have uh, many a person when I toured with Le Clique. Um, of course, yeah, in, in the, the tent. Spiegel tent, yeah. But I did get a funny one where <laughs> I was like, because I always like dressed you know, low key. I mean, I like sparkle. I'm a magpie. But I was in the uh, local cafe, Washington, a lovely um, place nearby. And it was when it was first open. And a girl serving said, uh, uh, 
here you're a stripper. Um, what? And I was like, uh, and I was saying, and I was like really dressed badly, like my hair backwards mm. going, you know, what? And she said, you do striptease, don't you? And uh, and I said, she said, everybody on the street, you know, knows that. But you'd... And I was going, is that why they not talk to me? They talk to me now since they know it's not the case. Is that why they, I, people, yeah, but, no, but, word, the Chinese whispers. So the, the Chinese whisper, because yeah. burlesque is usually striptease, yeah, right? But a lot of people confuse cabaret with burlesque mm-hmm. and that's, they don't realise the thing. And I said, no, and, and, and I said... Um, you know, burlesque. That's what you do. And I said, no, I do the... Uh, How dare uh, you? I went to art of narrative talk. I thought that sounds really bolshy, but I need to get out of this thing. And she said, um, it's the artist striptease, Camille. And then I said, I'm not going to get into this art, you know, wow. argument. But it was... Uh, so it got mixed around. And I suppose it was my fault in a way that... Because uh, for years, when I was doing The Rock, I said, I don't do cabaret. And then I found a flyer going... A night of cabaret with Camilla Sa- and I was going. Wait a minute, did I do that? It's so long ago, okay, right? Yeah. But it was all the Kurt Val stuff. But what happened was, you do those evenings, and also, I I love like I'm I love retro the retro look. So I thought that's a really good look. And when I toured Brighton, somebody said, "Come to this corset shop," and I went, "Oh my god, that changes your figure completely." And the band will go, "You look fantastic," and then they go, "Oh, you've changed back again. What's happened to you?" And. <laughs> So I was like this make-believe world. And and then when we did Jules Holland, which I only watched, you know, a few times. But I remember like somebody went, that was just, you know, that was amazing. That was disgraceful. And I went, what was disgraceful? What was the song? I only watched so it in these shoes. So I did two different In these ones. shoes, yeah, because then you, you're sitting on the chair, very... Yeah. Cabaret-esque. Yeah, and, and dancing and Flick your legs up. And, and the thing was, mm. I've been told, God, the dancing was great. And I went, what dancing? So, um, but all these songs that have been, and funny enough, men's songs, yeah, which actually. allows you maybe to be mm. anything. I just noticed that. Now. You know, be, like, but yeah. all, I always sing men's songs for some reason. I think it allows you to be vulnerable. But I think the thing is, you look one thing that... You change the perspective of that song then yeah, because you're a woman. because you add like emotion maybe to mm. it, like a, a vulnerability maybe differently in it. And I think this is a thing bringing up to Sinead when I remember seeing, you know, I always loved her. And when you listen to the album, she goes from a whisper to a roar. And, and I remember years ago when I had met her and she was messing, trying to, you know, she had the same mole on stage and she was trying to capture my face uh, with her mole and it was very funny. And then she stepped on stage and sang Factories. And it was one of those things again, a bit like the Bowie thing going, oh my God, she's Mm. so feral. She takes no prisoners. She just, she's just her. She doesn't, she doesn't perform for people to please them. It's a very visceral experience. She is, this is it. Mm. And I just, again, one of those moments. And I think it's, you know, like as you say, you have to take, I have to be very aware when I'm singing, you know, you talk about parody. I think the falling apart thing has been you know, you sing other people's songs so you better own them and you better inhabit them because don't be on the stage. Don't be messing with them. You know, I'm not going to sing cave stuff. There's too, there, I, like I've do Radiohead. I've, there's too many fans out there that's going to absolutely haul me off and they will tell you, oh, yeah. no, I don't like They're it. Serious. So you know that, you know, yeah. you've got that stuff. So uh, being vulnerable is a really important thing as a singer. Vulnerable as being angry, vulnerable as being soft, but just, but just being be, truthful, I yeah, suppose, no matter what you're and trying to like express. And just like a big child on stage, yeah. I just happened to look like a woman. So that's where it okay. got me into trouble with the in the shoes, because 
what they said was, you showed your red sparkly pants. But I was like, no, no, I was just showing that it matched my shoes. Like being like, you know, being a total girl going, look, isn't that great? It's an amazing performance. It's up on YouTube. I only watched it yesterday. So Camille O'Sullivan, the third entry yep. into your recorded history, yep. is, is no slouch himself. No. Can you tell us what and who it is? Yeah, so Bob Dylan. Now, when I was in boarding school, we used to listen to him religiously. There was a group of us, a lot of West Cork kind of children who probably had parents who were hippies, mm. like, you know, um, who listened to this. And funnily enough, a lot of the band that I worked with hadn't heard of Bob Dylan Wow. In their 20s, they hadn't really listened. So I was This is Blood of, on the Tracks now. Yeah, and with all his stuff. And so this song, this, I had known Hurricane and that stuff, but I didn't know Blood on the Tracks. I'd had been an architect and I had the car crash and then somebody gave me the CD. And I had, it was the year I, I learned to walk again. Sorry, just I, for people who don't know this, 1999. Yeah, yeah had a car crash. In the car that you almost very close yeah, came it, to dying. And it was a surreal. Um, <laughs> the car crash is, I wouldn't wish on anybody. I would tell everybody just take care because it was such a wake up call um, in the sense that I think you trundle along with your life and you think. I'll, I'll I'll always be, nothing will ever happen to me, like a youthful view on what life is. And then I realised I didn't matter at all. So all my nerves of not having been trained or that I was too old or whatever, I just, it all went. So I was off my head on morphine and, you know, the notion that my hand was damaged, my legs, I couldn't walk. And I, it took a week for kind of things to settle my body before they could operate. And, um, I just, my sister was like, what do you mean you want to sing? Because they didn't know. They said, you want to be a painter because I'd done art before, you know, um, architecture. So that was it. She said, what are you on about? And um, I just remember uh, thinking, I love flowers. I need to tell people I love them. I want to be a singer. And if anybody's annoyed me in the past because I'm repressed, I might go and tell them why they annoyed me because I need to get out of my system. So people were like, OK, fair enough. So it took a bit of a while going into a nursing home to learn how to walk again. And um, then um, I went to live in the house and Fergal took care of me. And I was watching kind of daily repeats of Falcon Crest. And then somebody gave me that CD and I ended up renting um, from an old tutor friend of mine, Mick O'Dee, who is like a phenomenal painter. He had a studio in Mountjoy Square and it was like a double height space. And I thought I'll start painting again. And I played that album. Now, I'm known when I like a song, it'll probably be played a thousand times. And that album, like if anybody lived below or above me in that, I, you know, if they wanted to kill me, they could have because I couldn't believe that album. Yeah. I was just, I don't know if it was the emotion of having, because it took kind of two years mentally to get over the, you know, they always say it takes a while to physically get over an accident, but it takes a bit longer. So it was mind blowing and it's uh, his fifteenth studio album. Came yeah. out in seventy five. For those who don't know, he was breaking up with his wife. He had yeah. met somebody else at a record company and yeah. started a relationship with her. That was the final nail in the coffin. Yeah. For his wife, maybe his first and only true love. That that caused the breakup of, yeah. the and he keep, of his he kept on making out. Oh no, no, it's not about that. And then he said later, he this did, yeah. this is about this happened to me. But the thing with Dylan on this one, 
the fire like and I've heard other bootleg recordings but this is the ultimate so it's Tangled Up in Blue yeah, Tangled it's Simple Up in Blue Simple Twist fate. but when I heard Simple Twist yeah. that was the one I just went oh my god because I think I'd gone I'm got you know you know what's interesting you know you think you've had a breakup and then you have another breakup and then you have some worse breakups and then you realise oh my god now I'm really having you know as you like I'm an open heart and you know I am a romantic and you know I when I was younger I sang with all my heart but I, I got a better I got to be a better singer like my best gigs is when I'm on the floor yeah. when I when my life is really falling mm. apart that's when you own you own it because you're so trying to work through the stage your own madness and your vulnerability when you're kind of when you're you know sorted you not you it's not like you have a cinema screen in your head, but you've got to kind of gather that vulnerability. Whereas the other thing, it's just, you know, you really are living it. And I remember, you know, that song, uh, Simple Twist, um, like we sang it on stage again, like it's a hymn, but then it just explodes with complete, like differently to him. But it was the thing, it's so painful. And he was the one who said it. He was the one who said, why would anybody, he said, why do people say it's their favourite album? Why would anybody enjoy, enjoy someone else's And now pain. I feel like going, Bob, come on. Can I just yeah. read back another great yeah. quote from you? At some levels, she says, this is you, obviously, I am feral, I am unravelling on stage, mm. I'm telling the audience, all is not right here, ladies mm. and gentlemen. But that quote, you said, when you sh- and again, that's something that Leonard Cohen has said beautifully as well as that, the crack is where the light gets through. Oh, a favourite yeah, line. Yeah, and I th- And I think that is the mm. thing in people. Yeah. And that's that's the essence of your performance, isn't it? So when you're identifying, and so it's Radiohead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a wide breath. It's yeah. Radiohead to, to Dylan, yeah. to Nick Cave, of course, Jacques Brel, yeah. Kurt Vile. You know, all of yeah. these artists. What is it that draws you to them in the first place, and their songs that you think I, there's something in there for me that I can do something with? First of all, you gotta adore. You gotta be obsessed by the song. Okay. You, you know that's the first thing, because uh, you, you, you're you know if you drive yourself mad touring for years, singing the same stuff, and in in many ways you it suppose it's like songs that when you're in the kitchen and you start bawling crying or you believe it's about you, um, the message. I've always been a curious person and I like trying to understand stuff and question stuff. And I suppose when the Kurt Vile stuff happened first, what I loved about them, it was um, not brutal, but it was bittersweet and it was real and it was truth and it wasn't pick a fence. And my life is quite messed up and I'm really not sure about myself. So I was drawn to the left of centre, which Tom Waits and stuff did. But I also love laughing and I also love having a drink. And, And, you know, I... I think I, I think what hit me with Brel and stuff was, you know, I used to be embarrassed about crying on stage and I used to be embarrassed about going for it. But when I sang all those years, when I was trying to learn how to sing and try and find my voice and somebody gave me a cassette and there was Ella Fitzgerald to say, Vaughan, I felt like such a faker. I was going, yeah, oh, uh, Christian Aguilera, you can sing like this. But I realised, oh, it's not about that. It is about kind of um, really being... You know, what I love, like, say, these songs about my death are song for lovers. It's where you just unlock something where you're absolutely speaking from the heart. And um, I think that thing of expressing yourself is lost when you grow up. Like, I see it in my daughter who's liberated and free and shy, 
who sings but doesn't like like myself doesn't want to be in front but when I hear that and I see kids I'm like you know not that I want to roll in the aisles of Dunstores but I go wouldn't it be great yeah. if you did Listen Camille I could spend another <laughs> Sorry yeah there's a lot of talk in there for you Not at all I wish I could spend more time we didn't get into I you know, the you birth of your daughter more. and then meeting Aidan and all that. We'll get that next time when we do part two, three and four. Yeah, absolutely. And you can bring Aiden; He'll give you the real story we'll, then. And we'll get, it'll be like a, a podcast, Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. We'll get his perspective <laughs> on it. It's a very funny one. Uh, so, yeah. Before you go, you can only yeah. leave the studio with one of your choices. Which one is it, I'm afraid? I'm gonna For, of the albums? Yeah. Uh, I think it's Ziggy. Yeah, Star thank God yeah. you said that. Oh. Camille O'Sullivan, it's been an absolute roller coaster and a beautiful, joyous journey. And thank you so much for sharing your recorded history. Says, no, before you okay. go, can I suggest a song? You may have done this one. It's Melanie. Look what they've done yeah. with my song. Yeah. I I've been listening to a lot of Melanie Safka at the moment. And I don't know her, so I, I'll say, I, I, yeah, we'll, we'll chat about it after the podcast. Melanie Safka did an incredible version of Ruby Tuesday. Yeah. Um I've got a brand new, you know set of roller skates but she does a song called Look What They've Done With My Song Ma Brilliant. and I was only listening to her earlier this morning oh my god I've got to be talking to Camila Sullivan this I can Fun. hear her and see the, her in this song this will be the so we, I'll, I'll play it for you and if you do end up performing this I'll, put, I'll always dedicate I want it to 3% <laughs> thank you Camila Sullivan my pleasure thank you so much Yes, the magnetic, the magnificent Camille O'Sullivan and her equally wonderful recorded history. If you haven't seen her live, fix that immediately. Just maybe don't go if it's a Valentine's night date. (laughs) I really hope you enjoyed Camille's recorded history and you'll join me next week and every Sunday after that. And if you want to check out any of Camille's choices or indeed anything at all that might tickle your eardrums, I would absolutely love it. If you did so by way of our excellent sponsors at therecordhub.com, it's got absolutely all you need at the click of a button. And I noticed they're doing a sale on some very tasty Brian Ferry records. So off you go now. Next week, I am chatting with my radio hero and dear pal, the great Paul McLoon. I've been Ed Smith. This has been Recorded History. Now hit the old subscribe button and become a weekly listener. But above all that, subscribe to yourself. Because... I don't believe in the existence of angels. But looking at you, I wonder if that's true. Yeah, dreadful. Apologies to Nick Cave. But anyway, good luck. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D-Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com, your local Irish and online record store.